0: So I went for a walk this morning, walked along York, West, past Richmond, through some of the construction. Man, can we have a hand for some of the people who are doing that work today? It is getting awfully warm, and they are still out there plugging away. We had a few kind of stops here and there, and then eventually I made it to the LCBO. That is just west of Richmond, just west of the bus terminal. You can picture right? It's on New York Street. Because I was curious. Yesterday, of course, globalnews.ca has the story, you can even check it out right now, regarding LCBO shelves and the lack of booze on some of those shelves in places like toronto and durham they're having really big problems and what the lcbo has said is that there is a new system that is going in in their warehouse at the durham service center and there have been delays in delivery now these delays have stretched on for a while weeks in some cases so i wanted to see what was going on in london well lo and behold Everything's great. Everything's fine. Shelves are stocked. Everything looks good. But I want to talk about this in a half hour from now because there are two things that I wonder. Does London get their distribution from that warehouse in Durham? I'm thinking they don't. And the other thing I'm wondering is if they don't, then do we have shortages to come? I don't think we're going to have answers. This also raises the LCBO question all over again. And I've crunched some numbers on some things. I'm not for the LCBO. Sorry, not for it. When we talked about this last on London Live, I like the suggestion of the hybrid system that Saskatchewan is using. I've lived in Alberta and they have Beer World and Beer Land and Beer House and Wine Place and they have all kinds of names like that. Lot more locations, lot more choice. And so I think this brings up, if we're going to have some sustained issues that we don't have yet in London, but if we have some sustained issues in terms of availability, yeah, it's time to talk about this again. It's time to talk about whether or not the LCBO is the way to go. Now, we haven't seen the Ford government make any moves to get rid of it. That hasn't been something that they've talked about, and ultimately it's... It's up to the government how they want to run their distribution of alcohol. But there are a few things that we've got to talk about, and we'll do that in a half hour from now. Let's kick off the show, though, and the show is going to feature all kinds of things, as always. We're going to be talking about everything from infiltrating the the services that provide electricity in Russia and the United States, and some of the hacking that is going on between those two countries. So it'll be everything from that, to earthquakes, to what not to do in a job interview. There is a great survey that has been put together. I can't wait to find out, but I have been given a couple of hints. There is a company out of Edmonton that has surveyed a number of people who do hiring, and they've asked them things like, what do you what do you run into when you're doing a job interview? Anything strange ever happen? And one of the stories that I have heard is that there was a guy and he was being interviewed and the person behind the desk was asked by the guy if she would like him to pick up her desk and show how to in order to show how strong he was. That happened in an interview. I can't wait to see what else happens in interviews. I'm sure a parent has gone along for an interview with somebody who was not 15. And no parent should go along with a 15-year-old. You want to wait outside? Good. But if they're going for their first job, in you go. This is your life. Put on your big person pants. Enough of the, the helicopter stuff. But we'll find out more about that. Plus, we'll talk earthquakes and a few other things. But I do want to begin with a story that was kind of breaking yesterday, later in the afternoon, because even though it happened in Winnipeg, even though it happened at a hotel in Winnipeg, it's got one of those things that as we cruise through life, you say, ah, that would never happen. We don't have to worry about that. That would never happen here. Well, they didn't think it would happen there either. And if you go to globalnews.ca, you can find a story that says carbon monoxide leak at motel Sends 46 people to hospital. So just think about that for a second. We have had tragedies in this area when it comes to carbon monoxide. A lot of times they happen in the winter when windows are closed, and we're always encouraged to first get a carbon monoxide detector. You have to have that, but make sure that it is work in working order. You test it just the same that you would in the same way that you would test a smoke detector. In this case, you have something going wrong. You have a carbon monoxide leak and 46 people wind up going to hospital. Well, let's get the latest on this story. Joining us right now is Diana Foxall, who is a global news radio reporter from 680 CJOB in Winnipeg. And Diana, sometimes stories will come through in newsrooms and you'll think, no, that that can't be right. Something, something here has to be a little off. In this case, 46 people being taken to hospital. Did yesterday feel a little like that?
1: This is certainly something that we're hearing is kind of unprecedented and unheard of simply to have so many people impacted by a carbon monoxide leak. Again, 46 people were taken to hospital yesterday morning after there was a carbon monoxide leak in a hotel um, in Winnipeg. Fifteen of those people were taken in critical condition, five of them in unstable condition, and 26 more were taken to the hospital in stable condition, more so for precautionary reasons. But that is a humongous number of people rushed to hospital, a huge response from fire paramedics, uh, plenty of police on scene, too. Um, So the scale of this, certainly when you think of the carbon monoxide leak, you're maybe thinking of one house that's impacted. Of course, this being a whole hotel, they had to evacuate all 52 people who are staying in there, plus a dog who is also receiving treatment. Um, So simply the scale of this is massive. We've heard that from the Premier, Premier Brian Pallister, commented on it yesterday. We've heard that from the fire department, from the the union of firefighters. They say the levels of carbon monoxide themselves that were found as well. um, Now we had readings of 385 parts per million of carbon monoxide. Um, That is something they don't come across very often, if ever,
0: so, obviously, the investigation has started. If we're to picture this, what does the hotel look like?
1: So, the hotel, it's a Super 8 uh, on kind of the west edge of Winnipeg, just east of the perimeter highway. So, just on the main drag that eventually turns into the Trans Canada as you head out past the perimeter. So, plenty of car traffic. Uh, they actually had to reroute the eastbound lanes of Portage Avenue where the hotel was. Um, to kind of allow for that fire paramedic presence and police presence to secure the scene and make sure everyone was able to get out very quickly. Now, the hotel, uh, we were told there was 52 people staying at the hotel when the leak happened. Of course, they were all evacuated very quickly. um, But certainly a hotel that people were staying at. And um, I know we were told that there were more people coming to stay that afternoon that hadn't even heard of the carbon monoxide leak when they were getting into their rooms and that kind of turned some people off we're told
0: we're talking with diana foxall on london live global news radio reporter with 680 cjob in winnipeg about an unprecedented kind of event taking place yesterday involving carbon monoxide in a hotel and you mentioned those levels what again have you been told about the level of carbon monoxide in the building
1: It was massive. So the call came in around 10.20 yesterday morning. Fire paramedics rushed to the scene after a carbon monoxide detector in the boiler room went off, and immediately they realized this was a very big deal. There were massive levels of carbon monoxide in the air. When they got a reading inside the hotel, they found 385 parts per million. Um, Typically, a safe level is kind of considered under 20 parts per million, so this is Massive, again, the Union of Firefighters saying they don't often see levels like this. Um, So because of that, they went around, they knocked on all the doors, got everyone out. Um, And just for reference, uh, people typically start seeing symptoms of carbon monoxide poisoning around sort of the 70 parts per million mark. So this is well beyond that. So many people were feeling nauseous, lightheaded, dizzy. Um, It's typically considered flu-like symptoms kind of. When you are when you get carbon monoxide poisoning, um, we heard from one fellow who was in the hotel, and when firefighters came to knock on his door to get him out of there, he that's kind of when he realized he was sick. He he stood up and he kind of felt woozy and didn't feel so great all of a sudden. So thankfully, everyone was able to get out of the hotel in a timely fashion.
0: Have you heard any updates on anyone who's been taken to hospital?
1: So, the vast majority of people taken to hospital, thankfully, have been released. We are told that no one was admitted. The Winnipeg Regional Health Authority gave an update around 4 o'clock yesterday. They said that was probably going to be the last update. Um, So, again, 15 people taken to hospital in critical condition, five in unstable, and another 26 in stable. Uh, It sounds like the vast majority of folks who were taken to hospital in stable condition were released pretty quick after they got there. It was more of a precautionary thing just to get them checked out. Uh, Those listed as critical were taken not because there was any concern that they might die, more so just the level of carbon monoxide in their blood was so elevated that that's kind of what the classification was. So people were being treated, um, and the vast majority were out by last night. And um, as far as the cause of the leak, we're still looking into that. Uh, I know Manitoba Hydro is investigating, the Office of the Fire Commissioner is investigating, so we don't have anything on that But uh, luckily, it sounds like so far, the people who were involved were able to get out okay.
0: Diana Foxhall joining us. Global News Radio reporter with 680 CJOB in Winnipeg. Diana, just one final thing. You mentioned the carbon monoxide detector that did go off, had gone off in the boiler room. Do you know whether there were other detectors anywhere in the hotel? Or were they not functioning if there were? Have you heard anything about that?
1: We're certainly looking into that. Um, When I spoke to the hotel owner yesterday, he said everything was up to snuff as far as the systems. They have recently had a fire inspection. Um, So my understanding is that everything is up to standard. Of course, that uh, detector going off in the boiler room obviously was working. Um, So I'm not sure if that was necessarily where the cause of the leak or the the leak was happening. Um, We've certainly put in the ask to find out more about the what all the systems that were at the hotel. Um but obviously one of them was functioning. If they had more than one, we will be finding that out in the in the future.
0: Diana, great stuff. Thank you so much for the time today.
1: You're very welcome.
0: Diana Foxhall, global news radio reporter from six eighty CJOB in Winnipeg, forty six people taken to hospital and it's one of those things that you say, Yeah, 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 we got that covered. That that wouldn't happen here. If you look in winter, what does the fire department tell you? Make sure that if you live in a subdivision, if you've got drifting, that everything on the side of your house, which may be in the air or a little down lower on the foundation, make sure all of that is clear. Make sure you shovel it out because if those ventilation spots get blocked, you've got issues. It can be as simple as having your car starter, if you have one of those, go off when your car's in the garage. All of a sudden, it is spewing carbon monoxide, and that can carry into your house. So these sorts of things can go on. Your carbon monoxide detector either isn't working or isn't there. Your furnace has a problem. It's not identified, and... As Diana pointed out, you had individuals in the hotel in Winnipeg who were not feeling well, but your reaction when you're not feeling well is not, wait a minute, this could be carbon monoxide. It's, hmm, I must have a bug. I must have the flu. I'm not going to go outside where there's fresh air. I'm going to stay inside and have a nap. And that's not the way that you want things to go in a situation like this so they will continue to follow the story in Winnipeg if there are other developments then we will certainly let you know but that's one of those things that just makes the rest of us say wow you see what happened in Winnipeg yeah okay I'm gonna go and hit that test button on my carbon monoxide detector before we go away to break let's go to the phones 519-643-2222 this is Marilyn hi Marilyn hi how are you today I'm great thanks (laughs) Anyways, well, that's pretty scary.
2: Go and stay in a hotel and have that carbon monoxide escaping. Yeah. And and, uh, anyways, our apartments are all equipped with carbon uh, monoxide. Am I saying that right? You are.
0: Carbon monoxide detector.
2: Yes. And I I sleep with my bedroom window open. So anyways, but to get on with something else, Uh, that store that Richard... Was uh, talking about that's across the road from where my footprint should be. That was a grocery store.
3: Okay. theres
2: grocery store, before it was Tanner's, before I came along, it was Scanlon's. And then when ta- um, Loblaws opened up on Gamage and um, Oxford, Tanner's sold it. To this uh, oriental family and they made it into a variety store so I think that's what Richard was talking about.
0: Okay, well Marilyn, thanks for clearing that up. Things are going well with you today? Oh
2: great, now look don't you go looking for that footprint anymore because I don't want you going to a uh a wild goose chase over a blummin' footprint.
0: But you, no, 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 no! You, but you've you've narrowed it down, and now I know I'm lo- not looking for a foot with toes in it, like I thought. So I'm I'm going to try and get a picture. Well, it's a footprint, dear. Oh, it's, a, it's a, it. You can tell it's a footprint. Okay. And I
2: was kid, I was passed out when I saw it there a few
0: years ago. <laughs> Quebec but, and Mornington. I'm going to get a picture, and I'll tweet out that picture oh, when but I do.
2: Oh, Lord, honey, it's on. The northeast corner, <laughs> let me get it right, the north, um, oh God, I don't even know north from west now, the northeast corner of uh, Quebec Street and Mornington. Okay. But I would check all the corners for you. look. I don't want you going out of your way to do this because it may not be there anymore.
0: Well, I will wear light-colored clothing, so I'm not in danger, Marilyn. You you won't have any any problems with guilt or anything like that. Should anything happen to me, it would be my fault. So I'm going oh, to God. go, and I'm going to find this, and I'm going to take a picture of it, and we'll share it.
2: And also, did Richard find out where... Tiven or Tyven Saskatchewan is where my grandma's buried.
0: Well, you know what, Marilyn? We can ask Richard that right now. Hang on. Let's bring okay. Richard into the conversation. Okay. Richard, did you find out where Tivin or Tivin, Saskatchewan was? Yes, I did, uh,
4: Mike. It was about 45 minutes out of Regina, it's in the southern part of the province. You were supposed to tell her, remember? I thought I did. Oh. Marilyn, I'm sorry if I didn't. It's about 45 minutes out of Regina. It's in the southern part of the province. And I've got that from an extremely reliable source. I got that from Premier Scott Moe, so he should know, eh? Isn't
3: that That wonderful?
4: Okay. And and thank you for that little uh, (laughs) lesson there on the corner of Quebec and Mornington. I'll always remember it as the little variety store that I spent the day right paying for my crime, my admitted in there by washing windows and cleaning shelves. But thank you anyways for the history of that. I just want to make a couple of quick comments, Mike. Sure. Number one comment, right? If you're listening to me, Taz, you know, I found that pretty sad, right, that your two and a half year old son was criticized, right, for the way he sang O Canada. You know, it's one thing for the prime minister of this country to uh, scold a woman and criticize a woman in a town hall meeting for using the term mankind. But when we start criticizing a -a two-and-a-half-year-old for the way they sing O Canada, I find that absolutely sad and pathetic. And to that little guy, right, you are truly a great patriot, and, Taz, you and your wife should be extremely proud of him, and someday you can teach him the correct words to it. But right now, let him sing it the way he wants to sing it. And I really enjoyed, Taz, listening to your son. Having said that now about carbon monoxide, wasn't there a case, uh, Mike, a few years back where a police officer and her family in Woodstock uh, died in their home because because of carbon monoxide poisoning. Yes, there was. And thanks to, I think it was her father-in-law, I'm not sure on that, it was either her father or her father-in-law, he pushed for a law here in Ontario for homes to be equipped with
0: that. Am I correct? We now have to have them in our homes. So if you do not, then pay a visit to someplace that sells it, whether it's a hardware store or even grocery stores will carry them, and get yourself a carbon monoxide detector because you have to have them, and you have to have them on all levels.
4: And one last thing, it'll be the best investment you ever make in your life. You have a good day. Mike.
0: Richard, you have a great day. Marilyn, you have a great day as well, okay?
2: Oh, yeah, and look, I'd like to meet Richard someday. So, you know, it would be nice if we were invited up to the CFL studio <coughs> to meet some of you guys in person.
0: Can we do that? Can we arrange this? How's August for you? Marilyn, we'll get this done, I promise.
2: Okay, dear, and I love you very much. You're a sweetie pie.
0: Love you, too. Take care. Bye-bye. Two of everybody's favorite guests on 980 CFPL, Marilyn and Richard on the air at the same time. I know Marilyn will come up. Richard, I hope you will too. We'll spend, you know what? We'll spend an hour of London Live reliving some memories with Marilyn and Richard. And if you want to come up and get an autograph, we'll make that happen too. Got to take a break. We'll return with more in a moment. We're doing this. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. I mean it. Next month, we, if they will do it, We'll have Marilyn and Richard in studio and we'll do an interview with them like the celebrities that they have become. What do you think? Marilyn, Richard, you up for it? I just got a tweet from Scott. It says, hashtag mind blown Marilyn and Richard on the air at the same time. See, every time Marilyn or Richard is on the air, I get all kinds of things, whether it's emails or tweets. We talked about this yesterday. I got to go back in time a little bit on my timeline, but where have we got it here? I'm getting close. Uh, love Marilyn. Always manages to make me smile. Uh, me too. Uh, here's another one. I really love listening to Marilyn. True gem. Really like to meet her someday. I think we can make all of that happen. We can make some conversation about the LCBO happen. We're going to do that in about 10 minutes. We're also going to... I said I'd gone for a walk today. I did earlier today in the sunshine. But it was getting warm then. I had a chance to talk to Wayne, who was cutting grass... In the city and asked him some tips on staying cool. We'll have Wayne's tips on that. Plus, we'll talk earthquakes. All of that in the next half hour. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. We'll talk LCBO in just a few minutes. I think the mess that's going on in Toronto should have everybody saying, do we do this the right way? I would argue we don't. We don't. I've always argued that the LCBO should be able to bring in more money, pay more dividends to the provincial government, to the province than it does. If you look back, $1.55 billion is the latest figure that I came up with, and that's low because its operating costs are massive. We're talking over $4 billion by some stats, and it's bringing in $1.55 billion. That's not good enough. And I broke it down comparing it to Alberta. So we'll talk about that in just a couple of minutes from now. But as I was out on my walk today to see whether the store shelves at the LCBO on York Street were stocked, and they were, I happened to run into Wayne. And Wayne was doing some outside work, as Wayne does in the city each and every day, and with it being as scorching hot as it is getting, and the humidity's coming back next week, is looking very, very warm, had to get some tips from Wayne on how to stay cool. So, we asked Wayne, first off, how today has been. It's getting humid. Wasn't as bad as last
5: week, but uh, it's warming up. So, I think today was supposed to be 37. so, So, probably by the time we're done... As we get into the afternoon, it's going to be hot.
0: So You got shorts on, but you got big boots. You still have to wear a safety shirt that looks pretty heavy. How do you stay cool?
5: Um. Well, you try to grab shade when you can. Um. A lot. Of, I got a, a dry wick shirt that actually wicks the moisture, so it um it actually pushes it to the outside, so it actually helps quite a bit. And how much water
0: do you go through in a day?
5: Probably, I've got. Uh, Probably uh, um, one of the juice containers that you get, like a one-point-something liter. i probably go through about uh, one and a half to almost two of those. So, like, I'll we'll keep a little one on me, and then when I go back to the shop, I put more in. So, yeah, a lot of water, but um, you just tra- take small sips So,
0: and uh, Gatorade. Gatorade, never a bad idea. Wayne, thank you for the job that you do. He was doing a phenomenal job keeping this city looking beautiful. So imagine that. Imagine drinking two liters of water, and you know what? You don't wind up peeing a lot. It's not like, whoa, can't drink all this water. You sweat it out. And thank you to all the outdoor workers for all the stuff that you are doing to help make this city look the way it does. Let's take a break. We'll talk LCBO next. I'm of the opinion, have been for a while, that this has to be run better. Better. There is a better way to do things, and I don't know whether it's privatizing, I don't know whether it's the hybrid, but to see the shortages come up in Toronto because of transferring over one system to another at a Durham warehouse, give me a break. you got to be better than that. We'll talk about it next. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Okay, let's examine the LCBO for just a moment. There are no issues in London right now. And Andy had a really good point. He tweeted and said one of the things that we have going for us, because as I walked over to the LCBO on York this morning, I had... Couple questions in my head. One, was I going to see spaces on shelves, much like what you see from some of the pictures that have been tweeted in Toronto and in the Durham region, where there's a lot of stuff missing, where the supply is not even close to the demand? So, was I going to see that? And number two, if not, what was making London? different. And Andy had a good point. He says the LCBO is a warehouse on Wilton Grove Road. The London stores likely get their product from there. It's a great point. If that's the case, we may not see an issue, but the LCBO has come out and they have said that a new warehouse system at its Durham service center has meant delays In delivery. And that's coming from global news reporter Nick Westall. And it's delivery in an unspecified number of products. And then he's highlighted empty shelves at a North York location. And the LCBO has said, hey, they're doing what they can. We also had a couple of other tweets that even showed St. Thomas having some issues with supply. So we've seen it in a few spots. Uh, Belleville's been named, Trenton's been named, Napanee, Kingston. Maybe we're getting away with it because of a close proximity of a warehouse. The thing is, why is this happening anyway? Well, it's a new warehouse system. Okay, then then find a way to... To get around that. Be prepared for that. The amount of money that is spent on the LCBO is by far, in my opinion, too much. Too much. And it's not just my opinion on this. You look back, Auditor General Jim McCarter said that the LCBO is minimizing profits by failing to negotiate the lowest wholesale prices from suppliers. And one of the suggestions is that the LCBO will set the price for something. Because they're concerned about consumption and overconsumption, Give me a break. That's crap. And that they will then go to the wholesaler after that and then set the price that they pay. I don't have evidence, but that has been a suggestion, and that seems to go along with what the Auditor General said. So, what do you make of that? Well, you make of that that I should be able to determine how much I can consume. And if somebody's going to consume a lot or too much or if consumption is an issue— That's just hitting them in the pocketbook. They're still going to consume it. If they're going in and buying a bottle regularly, they're going to pay what that bottle is, like buying gas. You're going to pay the price at the pump. So don't gimme that stuff about consumption. If we break things down, now in order to get these numbers to match up, I got to go back a ways. But Alberta's been privatized for a while. In 2011, Alberta brought in $683 $683 million for the province by way of the sale of alcohol and spirits, okay? In Ontario, we had, in 2011, $1.55 billion in dividends, go back to the province. If you break that down per capita, Alberta has a, a, right now, a population of just over $4 million. And Ontario has a population of just over 14 million. You break it down per capita, just just for argument's sake. Don't take these numbers and write them down. But this will give you a ballpark of who is getting more money per capita based on the sale of their alcohol and spirits. Alberta is. Alberta would be $158 per person. Ontario would be taking in $104 per person per person, based on those dividends. We didn't ask for the LCBO stores to be redone, revamped, made into these airy places with pot lights, looking all beautiful. If you walk into beer land in Alberta, it ain't always pretty. But you know what it has? The alcohol that you want to buy. You don't have to walk forever to get to it. So I think it's really time that we look at this once again and decide whether we create a hybrid whether we create a private system because this is something that in my opinion has long outdone itself and it's time for us to say how much money could we bring in the province if this was privatized and i know that you've got workers for the lcbo who are going to be livid at that statement well why are we seeing these shortages why is this going on how are you not getting around this if a company is having issues with something, you know what they do? They find secondary solutions. I don't see any secondary solutions in all of this. This has been happening for a while. Find some secondary solutions. This needs to be done better than it is. And when you have an Auditor General, Jim McCarter, saying, minimizing profits by failing to negotiate the lowest wholesale prices from suppliers, that's not fair. And it needs to change. Those are my thoughts. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca if you have thoughts. Let's take a break. Up next, privatizing liquor sales in Ontario might cause an earthquake in this province. Who knows? We're going to talk about actual earthquakes. We're going to look at the California earthquakes that, well, the earthquake and then the aftershocks that occurred. And look at it in reference to what we always hear out of California, or at least the West Coast, the big one. This is Global News Radio, 980cfpl before we get to earthquakes on London live let's get to the phones five one nine six four three twenty two twenty two David your thoughts hey david hi hey. Good afternoon. I
3: was listening to your comment about uh, inventory problems at lcBO stores I was in the one at Oxford and Wonderland yesterday could mm-hmm. couldn't help but, couldn't help but notice a lot of out of stocks on the shelf and low inventory on in many sections of the shelf so i i this is before I read the article and Today, in the paper, and heard your comment, but uh, interesting enough, I asked one of the staff members what the problem was. They actually said their um, transportation company uh is really causing an issue because their shipments are intermittent as well, it's something to do with a local transportation company, but now the real reason comes out is that inventory system, so thanks for for the heads up
0: yeah, but but you're saying that you were in London and you saw some shortages.
3: Yeah, yesterday afternoon. Wow. The Oxford Wonderland store, which is a big store.
0: Yeah. Notice, yeah. Okay, well, we've got to maybe do a survey here as to whether or not we have seen any other shortages anywhere. Because I was at the one at York, just west of Richmond, and they were fine. They've said they've had no problems. But if this is hitting London, and we've seen it in Napanee and Kingston, somebody to a picture in St. Thomas, certainly throughout the GTA then uh, in my mind, it's unacceptable. David, don't you think with the amount of money that is spent by the LCBO, don't you think they could have secondary things sorted out by now?
3: Yeah, I do. I thought they would have had a beta site, so test it out before they rolled it out. It doesn't sound like they did, hence the problems.
0: There you go. David, thanks for the call.
3: Hey, thanks a bunch for being there. Bye. Bye
0: Bye-bye. So that does say that there is a shortage in London, at least at one store. So David says he was up big store, Oxford, and did notice enough to make it significant. To I mean, when you're walking around a place, you know if their inventory is affected because you're looking and those shelves get really empty really fast. Spaces in shelves, we're not used to seeing that. You walk through a grocery store, there's no space. You walk through the liquor store, there's no space. But when there is, it jumps out at you. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. We had some unfortunate things happen in California in the form of earthquakes and aftershocks. And you always start to wonder, is this going to lead to what they have been referring to for years and years and years as the big one? Well, joining us right now to talk about earthquakes is Dr. Robert Mariu, who's a professor emeritus at Western University in Earth Sciences. Dr. Mariu, when someone has dealt with earthquakes like you have for a good portion of their career, certain quakes must come to seem routine. Was this one that certainly caught the attention of Californians routine? Was it one that you know happens and then just sees everybody go back to their daily lives?
6: It's, it's, it happens from time to time. The last big one like this was about 20 years ago. And I think they're, altogether there have been about 12 earthquakes larger than this one in the last uh, 150 years.
0: Dr. Mario, everybody, I don't know whether they wait for the big one, but we certainly hear talk about the big one. What would that even mean in terms of a California earthquake along the San Andreas or whatever other uh, fault line might be there?
6: The really big one that they're talking about is similar to the one that occurred in Indonesia a few years ago. Remember, that one had a fault line, and one near Japan, too, had a fault line of close to 1,000 kilometers, whereas the one we saw here in California the other day was about 10 kilometers in length.
0: And how long is that compared to most earthquakes? What, a 10-kilometer earthquake? Well, this
6: this is larger than most earthquakes. Most earthquakes are... There's probably uh, on the Earth every day there'd be maybe more than a thousand earthquakes, but a lot of them are small, magnitude two, three, four. They they might be just felt locally, but they wouldn't, and they wouldn't do damage. Most of them, you have to be over probably magnitude four before you start getting much damage.
0: Okay, and then
6: it's only local. But as as it gets larger and larger, then the the damage covers a much larger area.
0: Now, what is it about California that Prompts people to say, "Well, the big one could be coming."
6: Well, this is all part of the continental drift system. You know, North America and South America have been moving away from Europe and Africa for the last hundred million years, and as it moves about maybe five, ten centimeters a year, and those develop all, all kinds of forces along the the west coast of the United States and Canada and South America. These leads to complicated fracture systems, the large one being the San Andreas Fault. But this one here was on a smaller fault system, about 180 kilometers away from the San Andreas, I think, about 120 miles north of Los Angeles.
0: Now, would it have any impact on the San Andreas Fault, the fact that we have had movement close by?
6: It's um, not direct impact, Maybe may indirect impact. This is not, a, in my mind, this is not an unusual event, event. It's not, I mean, they've been forecasting, or scientists have been forecasting a, a huge, big one for California for a long time, and also off the west coast of the United States, off or of Canada, off Vancouver Island, there's a big one. Well, by, by a big one, we're talking about magnitude 8.5 to 9.
0: And, and is it a, inevitable see, that? See, that would the happen? Each,
6: each magnitude is 10 times the previous magnitude. So we're talking here about a magnitude 7. If you went to 8, it's 100 times more, and a magnitude 9 would be a... or 8 would be a 10 times more. A magnitude 9 would be about 100 times more, more motion.
0: Now, that sounds awfully scary. Is it yeah, inevitable the, 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 that that the happens? Ones,
6: the big ones are very scary. I mean, the, look at the damage that was done in Indonesia uh, a few years ago where... Thousands of people were drowned from the tsunami, but this one that's in the in the middle of the Mojave Desert would not cause any tsunami. There's no water around it.
0: We're talking with Dr. Robert Mario, who is a professor emeritus in Earth Sciences at Western University. Dr. Mario, is it inevitable that this happens? You mentioned the forecasting that's gone on. Anybody can say, "Hey, this is going to happen." The the sky will turn pink one day, and they could still be right until it never happens how about with earthquakes
6: well with a big one people there there have been huge ones in the past this is known they occur the really big ones occur maybe once every 1000 years so it's it's very hard to forecast to the day they're not able to forecast earthquakes like that but they, it's expected because just from past history that they, huge ones have occurred it's expected that they'll occur again, and as we've seen in recent years, there was a large one off Japan, the one that damaged the nuclear power plant, and the the fault line there was several hundred hundred kilometers long. That's much larger than this one here in California. This one in California is was a large earthquake, but not a huge damaging one.
0: Are we at a point where Californians have to, though, because the clock is ticking and, like you say, there is usually a time passage, even though it's a big passage of time, it, should Californians be looking and saying, yeah, you know, maybe maybe we should move inland a little bit more until, until this takes place, or is it just a case of we might not see it for another 500 years, 800 years?
6: Well, if you move inland, you might get hit by a tornado. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the chance of getting killed by a tornado... In Canada, is higher than being killed by an earthquake from the past.
0: Sure. So, I mean, you can step off the curb the wrong direction and, uh, and run into a bus. Uh, I guess right? any That's of those right. things can happen. Your
6: chance of getting hit by a bus is there, and it could happen. It could happen to you tomorrow, but it might not happen for 100 years.
0: In the meantime, they'll enjoy the California sunshine. Well, Dr. Mario, we really appreciate you outlining what did take place, that it wasn't along the San Andreas Fault, and then when compared to even other earthquakes in recent years, this one did not exactly match up. Thanks so much for the time.
6: Okay, you're welcome.
0: Dr. Robert Mario, Professor Emeritus at Western University in Earth Sciences as we talk about the latest California quake. We'll take a break. After news, we are going to be looking at Russia and the United States trying to hack into each other's electrical grids. Why are they doing this? And we're also going to look at stories of people who have really been trying to get jobs, but have really been doing a bad job of it. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Let's go through some headlines. Want to read some headlines? Here's one from the New York Times. June 17th. Kremlin warns of cyber war after report of U.S. hacking into Russian power grid. Here's another one. This one comes from the BBC. U.S. and Russia clash over power grid hack attacks. I don't want that to be as fun a description as it sounds. Hack attacks, that sounds like a good thing to do on a weekend. But this is not a good thing to do ever. Uh, Bloomberg, Russia's power grid is vulnerable to U.S. attacks. New York Times, U.S. escalates online attacks on Russia's power grid. You get the point? I could read headlines for the next 10 minutes. I don't have to. This is a thing. And that thing... I don't know about you, it makes me a little uh, uneasy. I don't like when people talk about messing with power. Right now, in this studio, a light is on. This computer over here, to my right, is on. It is taking electricity for us to be talking to you over the radio. So, that's on. I'm sure in your house right now, depending on where you are, or in, in your apartment or your condo, if you're lucky... The air conditioning is on. If you get into your vehicle and drive somewhere, perhaps to get food, you need electrical components in order to make that vehicle work. You also are hoping that the grocery store has its electricity on so that it can keep things like milk in very good shape. Frozen foods, meat, got to have those Refrigerated and in some cases even frozen. So, yeah, electricity has become a very important part of all of our lives. Get rid of it, we're back in the stone ages. And I don't know about you, I don't really want to have that happen. I don't think that's a good thing. So, why am I seeing all of these things? Why are we seeing US and Russia clashing over power grid hack attacks? Well, when it comes to hacking when it comes to certain behaviors it is great to be able to get the insight of a guy like dr Derek silva he is an assistant professor at king's university college he deals in policing he deals in terrorism he deals in radicalization but he's somebody that we can call on to help us out with this story as well dr silva thank you so much for being with us how are things Uh, Things are well. How are you doing, Mike? Not bad. When we got talking about this last week, I got mentioning a book that I'd read called One Second After, and ever since reading it, I've been in a way troubled by it just because it was written by an author who had a lot of guidance from U.S. military, and it just seemed like such a plausible, I guess, plot, and I don't want to live in the world in which that plot is carried out, and essentially what it does is it has someone... Who ruins the electrical grid in North America, even though they focus in on the United States, by detonating bombs way, way up in the atmosphere. But it just takes out everything that has an electrical base. And then you start reading stories about the United States and Russia and hacking into each other's electrical grid. And and part of me starts going, whoa, 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 whoa. How concerning should these actions actually be in your mind?
7: Uh, I think that the it's a concern. Absolutely, with the rapid growth of Internet technologies since the 1970s, it's absolutely a concern we should all have. But I think it's overemphasized how much of a concern. Because, like I said, we've been developing these technologies since the 1970s, and we have yet to really face a severe cyber attack on our electric or nuclear power grid. So if there hasn't really been an attack in 40-plus years, how big is the threat really?
0: That's good. I like hearing you put it into yes. those kinds of terms. Can we look at how they even might go about doing this? Because you would think that with all of the technology that exists, with the ability to encrypt it would make it awfully tough for somebody to hack into anything that either the United States or Russia wanted to keep safe. What's happening here?
7: I think that, well, one, um, these technologies are complex and so uh, amazingly encrypted and secure that that's potentially one of the reasons why there hasn't been a large-scale attack. These sort of more minor attacks or attempts, as we often hear it, Are smaller sort of um, loopholes within code or very small um, areas in which people can infiltrate. And that's why they haven't been wide scale. It's not enough to throw out the entire grid. It may be a smaller hack that, you know, messes with a particular area or particular, um, one particular base or something like that.
0: Dr. Derek Silva joining us, expert in terrorism and radicalization and policing at King's University College. So, what would be more advantageous to either the U.S. or Russia? Would it be taking down electrical grid, or would it be looking more so at internet capabilities?
7: I would say uh, internet capabilities. Um, if you're thinking of it as a political project, if you're trying to sway opinion or something, like we saw in the 2016 presidential election, that may be more damaging um, for a particular country in the global landscape than, say, take down their electrical grid and potentially hurt the people on the ground. Um, that would really not be beneficial for, our, for something like Russia, who is looking for influence on the political landscape. Whereas if you you know, infiltrate Twitter and Facebook and change the discourse, in order to help people or sway people to vote in a particular way, that might actually be more beneficial for you in the long run.
0: Gotcha. So it's not a a matter of, we're not at a stage where it's, all right, I'm going to exert my power, I'm going to wipe things out, and we're going to make life back into the Stone Ages for people in the U.S. or for people in Russia. Nobody hates each other. You'd have to hate each other a lot to do that.
7: I think so, and I I don't think that um, in the history of, of international wars that that would be beneficial, or or it could it it could start a world war, really. And I don't think that's in anybody's best interest. Um,
0: yeah. We're talking with Dr. Derek Silva, expert in terrorism, radicalization, policing at King's University College. Dr. Silva, let's take that terrorism aspect for a moment because infiltrating and and hacking into things, it seems like a terroristic thing to do, but now we're hearing stories that this is actually, you know, the government of either of these two countries that is doing it. Does that suggest anything to you? Um, It suggests that... I think everyone is
7: trying to do it. Well, I shouldn't say everyone. There are both groups. I think nation states are attempting to gather more information and intelligence on, say, electrical grids, so they're trying to exploit these systems. But I also think there is a much more insidious um, area of this where, where terrorist organizations are also trying to do this. And I think that's why places like Canada invest $1.7 billion um, into a global... Or into our domestic um, cybersecurity, I think that's exactly why, because there are a lot of potential areas of concern.
0: Can you make a completely safe cybersecurity protection wall, or however you would want to term it?
7: No, you can't. It's a, it's absolutely impossible. The technology advances at such a rapid state or rapid um, uh, pace. But what you can do, and what the U.S. is doing currently, is you can create what are called redundancies, or ways in which even if there is an attack or if there is a disruption of some sort, you have ways to keep that system going. So the U.S., this new Securing Energy uh, Infrastructure Act, is to create analog technologies that take the Internet or the digital um, uh, uh, creation of their electrical grid and bring it back to, quote-unquote, the Stone Age, or bring it back to the analog technology to create a layer that if the digital side is attacked, the analog side
0: keeps going.
7: <laughs> so there are these ways in which we can protect in a multi-layered and multifaceted way.
0: Isn't that wild to think we've come so far and yet you have to say, okay, well, if, if that goes wrong, uh, this hammer and this rock can <laughs> sure get us going where we need to go.
7: Isn't it funny how old tools seem to do the best job sometimes?
0: <laughs> now, of course, analog is a little bit more sophisticated than hammer and rock, but I'm not too sure how much anymore compared to what we have.
7: Absolutely. And, and it's just important to have multiple layers of security. You can't just have, there's no way to completely secure against any threat. So what you do is you build as many different areas of security or protection devices that can stop all different forms of of potentially catastrophic um, activity.
0: Finally, Dr. Silva, when you see news reports pop up about hacking and things like that, how intently do you read them? Do you kind of brush them off or do you actually look through and say, okay, what are they saying about this now?
7: I read them pretty intently, but I also, as I guess the the criminologist in me, I critique them quite a bit and I, I challenge them quite a bit because I think that the threat and the risks are overplayed for a variety of political reasons.
0: Well, we really appreciate your time and your insight on this today. Thanks so much and enjoy the rest of the summer. Absolutely. You too. Dr. Derek Silva from King's University College. So, yes, he reads them intently. No, he's not looking at this as being an uh uh-oh kind of moment. But the U.S. and Russia definitely do have an interest in each other's electrical grids. Let's take a break. We'll come back and we will talk about something that got underway a little while ago that's actually going to wrap up today that has been aimed at making businesses along Adelaide, basically from Commissioners North, look amazing. And there are judges involved and prizes to be given out in less than three hours from now. What is going on? We'll find out next as London Live continues. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Coming up, we are going to talk job interviews. This will happen in about 20 minutes from now. Think about the worst thing that could happen if you are heading into a job interview. What could that be? Being late? Yeah, that wouldn't be good. That's not a good way to start it off. Being unable to answer questions? Yeah, but that might happen. Maybe they ask you really weird questions. But what if it wasn't late? What if it wasn't weird questions? What if it was just something that you did? What if you offered to pick up the desk of the person interviewing you and hold it up in the air so that she could see how strong you were? What drug does it take in order to get you to think that would be a good idea? We are going to talk with Jessica Kulo who is the president of Express Employment Professionals out of Edmonton. They've done a survey. And they've talked to all kinds of people who do all kinds of hiring, and they've asked them for their best stories. What has happened to you in an interview? Who have you met? What have they said? In some cases, what have they done? Who has come with them? And we'll have some answers in just a little while, about 20 minutes from now. Coming up later today, we are going to have the end of a contest. It is a contest that's been taking place for a little while now, and it's also been taking place even before this year. But it is aimed at making things really, really nice for businesses along Adelaide. And Jessica Penn's is in charge of making this one go. She is a community partnership specialist with the Upper Thames River Conservation Authority. And Jessica joins us right now. The contest is called Adelaide Business in Bloom. So, Jessica, why don't we kind of start right there? What do we need to know about Adelaide Business in Bloom?
8: This is now our third year doing this competition, and – uh the whole purpose and the goal of Glen Karen and Bloom is to inspire the Glen Karen community to make their neighborhood and their streetscape more visually appearing and environmentally friendly. So we're encouraging the businesses and organizations around the Adelaide Street and surrounding area to beautify their section and make it just that much more prettier for the local residents as well as themselves with a happy place to come and live and work and play.
0: That's great. Why did you start doing this three years ago?
8: So we started doing this uh three years ago because uh I believe we were doing a SNAP program, which is kind of inspired by Toronto and what they're doing in some of their neighborhoods. So, we're trying to make them beautiful, fun neighborhoods that are better, not just for the community itself, but the organizations in the city as a whole. So, we're trying to make the, um, the neighborhood just a little bit more beautiful and a little bit more environmentally friendly instead of having concrete jungle everywhere. So, and- we're trying to keep it pretty, essentially.
0: And now it turns into a competition. So businesses and organizations at the south end of Adelaide Street, it would be between Commissioners Road and Thompson Road. And is there there any kind of thing that people can do or not do in this? Are there any rules?
8: So we're a little bit uh, a little bit forgiving with the rules because not every um, business and organization on the street can have a big giant garden because some of them are in strip plazas and such. So last year we actually had Wineworks get together with their um, whole strip plaza there and they got these beautiful flower decals and they got together and they had that decorating the front of the, of the store because they couldn't have planters out and they couldn't have a big garden out front. So they had these beautiful decals and they even put them on their outfits for The competition themselves when we were presenting them with their certificate and inspecting what they had done, so it was fantastic to see that. But the idea is to kind of create a greener space, so to put gardens or to take your already existing garden and kind of giving it a little bit of love and making it a little bit more beautiful. And we encourage the use of either rain barrels to collect water and and, uh, water them that way. We encourage the use of native plants that are native to our area because. They're better for our environment and our local, local pollinators and, and uh, bugs and birds, etc. They use them for their food source and for their nesting materials, etc. So they know what to do with the plants. So having native plants is very important, and we encourage that as much as possible.
0: We're talking with Jessica uh, Penns, Community Partnership Specialist, and we're talking about Adelaide Business in Bloom. It's a competition that has been on. Judging is set. When is Judging.
8: So judging was actually this morning, we went around with two local residents who are very passionate and one part of a local horticultural society and the other is just a very passionate local gardener from the Glencairn community. And we went around to six businesses this morning and we got to chat with the owners and the and different people that work there as well. And it was amazing just to see how passionate and excited they were to show off their gardens and kind of give them a little tour for the uh, judges.
0: Great. And now those judges are deliberating. So when is the winner announced?
8: The winner will be announced at 5 p.m. tonight at YFC, so the Youth for Christ Cafe. We will be there at 5 o'clock to announce the first top three gardens of today.
0: Outstanding. And is there a prize that they win?
8: Yes. So first prize is a park pass to the Upper Thames River conservation areas around London. So and Woodstock, um, Wildwood in St Mary's, and Fanshawe here in London.
0: Perfect.
8: Uh, We will. We also have a second place prize, which is a $75 gift card to a local gardening center. And our third place prize was generously donated by Michael Van Holst from the City of London. And there's there's uh, two big uh, beach umbrellas for the prize winners.
0: Jessica, this is great stuff. Really appreciate you taking the time. Good luck with the results and enjoy the celebrations when you announce the winners later today.
8: Thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me.
0: Anytime. Jessica Penns, Community Partnership Specialist with Upper Thames River Conservation Authority. So if you're going along Adelaide North from commissioners, you know why the businesses are looking so great. They will announce those winners at 5 o'clock tonight. No baseball tonight. The Jays are off again today. Today is one of the quietest days on the sports calendar. The quietest because there really are no professional sports events outside of Major League Soccer and now Canadian Professional League Soccer. They've, They've come to the rescue. But baseball's quiet because of the All-Star break. Nothing happening in the CFL, the NFL, the NHL, the NBA. Gershon Yabasili has left the Celtics. That's, that's how small a day it is in the sports world. But the majors are in action. They will be on the road in Brantford. Brantford's had a really difficult year this year. They won their first game. Then they proceeded to lose their next 20. And then they won on Sunday. So they're 2-20, and 20, and the Majors, who were beaten last night by Kitchener, a really, really good team, will be in Brantford tonight, and then they'll be back home against Kitchener on Friday night. That's one you don't want to miss. Jays get back into action on Friday night. They'll open a weekend series against the New York Yankees. You know what? We do need a baseball story of some kind today, don't we? I'll tell a baseball story In five minutes. One of the best stories, I don't know if you know it, but it's one of the best stories ever to come out of Major League Baseball because it's like a movie in baseball. Happened during a game, but you could make it as the plot of a movie. It would be a bad movie. Uh, It would be a lot like Ocean's Eleven, so it's already been done. But I'll tell that story in about five minutes. And then, ten minutes from now, we are going to talk about mistakes people make, either on purpose, by accident, or otherwise, in a job interview. And this is not, well, here's what you should do and here's how you should talk. That's not what this is. We'll maybe get a few tips at the end. But we're going to talk with someone who has been part of a survey of a lot of professionals who give job interviews. And the question was, give us the weirdest things that have happened while you've been interviewing somebody. We'll find out what those things are. That and more still ahead on London Live. News is next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Since the majors are on the road tonight, you can't get into Labad Park. There will be no baseball on the radio because there's no baseball period until Friday for the Blue Jays. There's one game tomorrow. Here's a little baseball For a Wednesday without any. A story that goes back to 1994, the year that Expos fans despised because the Expos were having a really good season and it turned into a work stoppage and the World Series was cancelled and Expos fans always wonder, what if? Could they have won the World Series that year? Well, that year, something else was happening. Cleveland was actually playing pretty well. And Albert Bell played for Cleveland. And Albert Bell mm, became known, ultimately, for not being completely above board. This was, of course, before all of the steroid stuff broke. This was before Mark McGuire versus Sammy Sosa. But it wasn't before you could get a bat and cork it. And if you cork a bat, it can hit a ball further. And there were a lot of rumors that Albert Bell was using a cork bat. And the White Sox found out about this. And so they decided to launch an appeal of one of Albert Bell's bats saying, hey, can you check that bat? So the umpires, hearing the official appeal from the White Sox, have to take the bat away. So that's what they did. Middle of the game, it was actually early on in the game, took it away, and it was put into the umpire's locker room. Well, Cleveland is sitting around, and they know that this bat is corked. They know that Albert Bell has been cheating. And they think, you know, we can't afford this. We need Albert Bell in the lineup. He's one of our best players. We've got to get that bat back. So what do they do? Jason Grimsley, a relief pitcher for them. I don't know whether he was really skinny at the time. I don't know what it was. Maybe he was the only guy who said, I'll do this. Was sent through the ductwork at the stadium. Just like you would see in a movie. And he crawled through, and he somehow found the umpire's locker room. And he got in, and he dropped down, and he had another bat in his hand, and he was able to locate Albert Bell's bat, full of cork. And he went over, and he grabbed that bat, and he put another bat down, and then he got back up into the ventilation system and crawled his way back through, back through, and got into the dugout, and nobody noticed. How do we know this? Well, he got traded to the Yankees later or signed with the Yankees later and told the story in the New York Times, and it's been in a couple of books. So there have been a lot of people who have validated this story. So how do we know that that this took place? Well, Jason Grimsley would have wanted to take one of Albert Bell's bats to switch it with the corked bat, right? Only all of Albert Bell's bats were corked, so he couldn't. So he had to take a different one, belonging to Paul Sorrento. Major League Baseball players have their names on their bats, and the umpires kind of figured something fishy had taken place. They didn't know what. They couldn't prove it. But when they went to pick up an Albert Bell bat and found Paul Sorrento, they ended up telling Major League Baseball, who x-rayed all of Albert Bell's bats, he was given a 10-game suspension. Cleveland appealed it, got it down to seven games, and the season was canceled anyway little baseball story for a day without a whole lot of baseball. Up next, we will talk job interviews. And the worst of the worst. Some of this stuff you may not believe. From job interviews. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Getting a job is not easy. Oftentimes, you have to go through a job interview. And there are even courses you can take now to prep For job interviews, what questions are they going to ask? Am I going to know the answer to those questions? If I was a fruit, what fruit would I be and why? You can rack your brain all you want about all of those things. Sometimes it doesn't even get to that point. Sometimes the person being interviewed is doing something. Odd enough that they stand out for all the wrong reasons. And that's where we come in. Express Employment Professionals has done a survey of all kinds of people who hire other individuals for jobs. And joining us right now is the president of Express Employment Professionals out of Edmonton, Jessica Kulo. Jessica, how are you? Great. Great. Good. You are filled with some incredible tips that we need to know about. If anyone is ever looking for a job, one of the most stressful things you can do is have to go through the job interview process. And you would think that that stress, that everything that goes along with it, would make people act on their best behavior. Uh, You've done some checking into things, and best behavior sometimes Sometimes doesn't even hit the map. This is pretty amazing.
9: <laughs> yes, my team, um, speaking specifically to, to Edmonton here, interviews anywhere from 50 to 100 people in a week. And so they definitely have access to some pretty um, interesting experiences and funny stories. And um, it, is, it is interesting what some people, job seekers or candidates, might think is acceptable when it comes to interviewing and applying for a job.
0: Okay, so you've been able to survey professionals who do a lot of hiring. You have been able to look at some of the things that you have found. I don't even know what to to guess at here. Uh, (laughs) Name something that someone found that maybe surprised you a little bit.
9: Sure, sure. Well, some of the the statistics from our survey maybe aren't as surprising, like showing up late would be probably something people would expect. 85% um, reported that. Um, What I'll say to that is the worst thing is when a candidate then is late is that they just blame their GPS or don't take accountability for for that. But um, the interesting or more humorous things that we've heard about would be um, a candidate coming in for an interview wearing a a T-shirt that said, bleep you on it <laughs> um, <laughs> really yeah yeah that one didn't actually make it to the interview the interviewer decided not to proceed when the candidate came in wearing that um, another one uh, we were told it came in wearing bunny slippers
5: of course so,
9: Again, attire, you know, maybe they thought that would make them stand out, but not entirely um, appropriate. Um, Pretty common, actually, which maybe would surprise some, is answering phone calls, like answering them, taking the call, and continuing the call in the interview, or text messaging. Um, I know I'd also heard of a story where somebody actually took a call and accepted another job offer without excusing themselves from the interview, took the (laughs) entire job offer.
0: This person was big. They were in demand. I'm sorry. I have people waiting.
9: (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Um, Other funny things is eating. Eating or, um, you know, maybe a coffee or water would be acceptable, especially when they're offered that when they come in, which is pretty common. But eating during the interview is something that um, somebody eating eating.
0: what in particular then? What would they be eating?
9: Been told um, by one individual, uh, there's several things in one interview: a banana, then some peanuts, followed by an apple, all <laughs> during <laughs> during the interview.
0: And just go um, about eating. That's like a packed lunch right there. So just kind of <laughs> going through eating. What do they do with the banana peel at the end of it?
9: Uh, gave it to the interviewer to come on.
0: Us. No. Yep. No. Yep. So
9: yeah no it's um very, very entertaining to hear to hear some of these stories and something like that of the interviewer you wouldn't you know wouldn't expect that to happen until the interview had started, obviously um another one that I find comical is um where the candidate has somebody that needs to join them in the interview, and where I've actually personally experienced this as well as the parent, the mother, was the one demanding that she be there the interview and
0: and, and how old would the person answer. have been that you were interviewing
9: uh millennial so not you know um not not like a not like a teenager um <laughs>
0: <laughs> and mom had to come this is somebody who'd be in their 20s yep 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 was it more of an interview yeah. with the mom ultimately or did the person actually just do the interview with mom observing
9: yeah i've i've Heard of examples where um, mom, or actually a spouse as well, for whatever reason was allowed in, and then yeah, they were they were answering questions. Um, my own experience, um, no, I did not allow. I did not allow the the mom to come in. <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: We are talking with Jessica Kulo, who is the president of Express Employment Professionals, talking to us today from Edmonton, and we've been able to go through a number of the things that you couldn't possibly make up, that people have either done, worn, or eaten in interviews (laughs) hoping to get a job. And. Maybe, Jessica, it's a good idea for us to explore. Of course, don't eat the banana and hand the peel to the interviewer. Don't wear certain clothing that have certain messages on them, that sort of (laughs) thing. But let's kind of backtrack and look at a couple of these. Showing up late, you said people don't take accountability for that. What if someone did come in late, because it can happen, it shouldn't, but it can, And what if they did take accountability? Is that actually something that could work in their favor?
9: Yes, I think so. And I know just speaking for myself and my team here, uh, that's something that we do look for. And, you know, life happens, and I think most reasonable people would agree with that. Um, But where it's um, no accountability or my GPS took me to the wrong place and excuses like that, that's um, generally unacceptable.
0: Turn off the phone. That sounds like a very important one.
9: Yep. Turn off the phone or if, again, you know, we're just human. If the phone does go off, just ignore it right away. Turn it upside down. Put the face down. Don't answer it. um, And apologize. Again, take accountability.
0: Okay. That's that's probably a, a very key word. Should be in life. We like that word around here for sure. Uh don't bring yeah. your parent to the interview, especially if uh if your parent no longer dresses you in the morning, I suppose. Or maybe that's the problem. <laughs> maybe maybe that's still going on a little bit among some millennials.
9: Maybe, yeah. Don't bring a parent don't have the parent follow up for you either on the interview um, and even if, if you do get the job, don't have the parent calling about employment related issues or questions or inquiries, um, look after that yourself and um, conversely too and I understand childcare can be a problem sometimes but it's not a great idea to bring your young kids to an interview either um, and in a case like that if, if a parent really was strapped and had to uh, call and explain. A situation rather than just showing up. Um, I've heard of instances where a parent had asked the receptionist of the company to, to babysit the kids while they would go in for their interview, and that doesn't go over well, wow. in my experience.
0: Now, there tend to be pretty standard questions that you can expect. You won't always get them, but... Things like, did you leave your last job for any specific reason, that sort of stuff. When you ask questions like that, do you typically get the same answers or do you sometimes get answers you wouldn't expect?
9: Um, yeah, we get we get a lot of different answers, but I would say more often what's typical is um, very vague answers, like I needed more of a challenge or it was time to leave or I found a different job. And when we're interviewing, those answers aren't enough. We're looking for specifics. And um, it, it, it may be a fine line where candidates don't want to say anything negative about a past employer, which I do respect, and I think that's important. But it's also important to be specific because... It demonstrates honesty, and I think that that's what um, skilled interviewers are looking for.
0: How many people come into an interview trying to be someone they aren't, trying to maybe be better than they are, when in actuality, just being honest would help you so much more?
9: We hear that so often from our clients that we hire for. They'll say, you know, they interviewed great. I can't believe that the candidate ended up not being a fit for, for the role because they interviewed so well. And that's really, it is challenging because, um, you know, we, we give tips on how to interview well, and, and that's important. But then it's also important that you follow through. And if you are showing accountability in your interview, you need to show that also when you're on the job. And so it can't just be um, an act to, to get the position, either the tips would be further than that. They would, they would carry through and have more follow-through than just in the interview itself.
0: We're talking with Jessica Cullo from Express Employment Professionals. Jessica is the president, and we're talking about a survey that they did looking at some of the stranger things that have taken place in interviews. Actually, just got an email that came in here from Marcy at Mike at 980cfpl.ca. Marcy said, I used to do some hiring, and it just so happens that I was once asked out. Has that ever happened?
9: <laughs> yep. I have heard of that happening as well. Um <laughs> Flirting going on in an interview. I had um, one of one of the gals in the office here had a, an interview. A candidate try and pick up her desk to demonstrate strength. And <laughs> was that a,
0: a job? Uh, a, was that a part of a job description in there? Or um,
9: I, I, I think it was more along the lines of describing what he had done before. Okay. And um, yeah, so very, very animated description of, of experience and ability. Um, but yeah, yeah, being asked out, being picked up. That I've heard of that happening as well.
0: But again, if, if we're on the other side of things here, if you are in a job interview, not a good idea to ask the person you are interviewing out or offer to raise their desk over your head. Probably unnecessary in both cases, right? <laughs>
9: Unnecessary,
0: yes. Unnecessary. Well, thank you for tipping us off on a lot of other unnecessary things. Uh, Jessica, I'd like to hope that from now on you only interview candidates who are straight up and honest and give you everything you want, but a part of me kind of hopes that we can talk in a year or so and get another list of things that have happened. Is that okay?
9: I will keep a a list going for you, for sure. Thank
0: you. Have a great day.
9: (laughs) Okay, thank you. You too.
0: Jessica Kulo. President of Express Employment Professionals out of Edmonton where they have done a survey and they have come up with the things that people have done. Who eats a banana and then hands the peel to a prospective employer? They also ate an apple and some peanuts. And who does actually offer to lift up somebody's desk? Who wears a shirt that says bleep you? Who brings their mom along To job interviews. And it sounds like that's happened more than once. Give me a break. You're not getting hired. In fact, I would take that person's name and I would circulate it to anybody else in my industry saying, Yeah, if this person applies, do not waste your time. They'll bring their mom. You're not hiring the mom. Wild. Absolutely wild. I can't. Bunny slippers? Seriously? I don't think any of those people got the job they were looking for. That's the sad part of it. Let's take a break. We will close out the show in just a moment. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Got an email from Allison who completely gives a, yeah, that happened to me, to... The job interview story that we just did. Allison says, I once had a young woman show up in a Johnny Cash t-shirt and yoga pants. Yeah, that's that, that's not necessarily the attire you want. Uh, if you're applying to be a Johnny Cash roadie, I, I guess so. The Johnny Cash tribute tour? I don't know. Uh, says that I did have a parent arrive with their son. Parents call in for their kids to tell me that they are running late. Really? Really? Parents, you you got to cut the cord, man. You got to cut the cord. You got to let them go. Man, I don't get that. You're hurting your kids. That was the one that maybe stuck out the most to me. We may have to talk about this again, especially if we've got some great London stories for this. Right now, we are out of time. We do have news coming up next. We'll tell you how hot it is going to get today and how long this may last. It may not last that long this time around, but there is some warm air due to come in next week, it looks like. Thanks to Kelly Wong for her help today. London Live brought to you, as always, by our friends at Courtesy Ford Lincoln at 684 Warncliffe Road South. You're listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL.